Good morning. That was great, wasn't it? Amen. Great to worship under the trees, under the sky, worship the God of heaven and earth and the Lamb together. What an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, If you haven't already turned to Revelation 4, we've already had our scripture reading for the day, um, which was awesome. So, um, you know, this summer we've been looking at these core practices, um, rhythms in our lives that help us live kingdom life. We've looked at four so far. We looked at reading scripture, really meditating on scripture. We looked at being engaged in church community. We looked at prayer, and we just finished three weeks on Sabbath. And we have three more weeks of the summer, really, and so we're going to have some, we're going to stay in this series, but we're going to have some one-offs. So today I want to talk about worship as a core rhythm and practice to our lives that sets us up for kingdom life. And specifically, I'm thinking about this corporate gathering where we gather in song, in word, in prayer, what we do on Sunday mornings, and how important it is that worship is a regular part of our lives. And the reality is um, we are worshipers. We worship all the time. Not we're going to worship. The question is, what are we worshiping and, and how do we do that? And so I want to talk about worship in this moment. I want to acknowledge worship, of course, is so much more than this. Worship, biblically, is this response of our entire lives, not just Sunday mornings, but our whole lives to God. But I want to talk about this moment and what we do here and how this is um, so important to us. So I, want to, I, I hope to um, infuse into your minds and your hearts uh, a vision for what we're trying to do uh, when we gather here on Sundays. And... Um, you know, I would imagine many of us have very different experiences of Sunday mornings, of, of church down the years. For some of us, it's a really rich experience. For some, it's a complicated experience. For some, it's a very distracted experience. Uh, but I hope to at least give us a biblical vision that can shape how we come in and how we engage in this time with our Lord. And what's great is, you know, we're all, there's so much diversity in terms of, um, some of us are emotionally wired. Some of us are more intellectually wired. Some of us are more charismatic in our theology. Some of us are, are less. Some of us are more physically expressive. Some of us are less. Um, but what I want to say today uh, applies to us all. It, and it, it really doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum of all of those kinds of things. Um, this is just what worship is. And so we, got, we all get to enter into this vision uh, and within our own personalities, our own wirings, and, and how God has, has created each one of us. So this, this transcends any of those, those differences. So we're going to look at Revelation 4 through 5. If you know me, you know this is one of my favorite passages in all Scripture. I've taught on it numerous times over the last 18 years or so. Um, but it begins uh, with, this, I think, this very cool image. In verse 1, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Right? John is on an island, he's in exile, but somehow in the spirit, there's, I mean, just imagine there's a doorway into heaven. And what you get in Revelation 4 and 5 is John stepping into the heavenly places and seeing the heavenly throne room where God is and, and his creatures, his angelic creatures. And what really he steps into is a worship service. And it's a worship service that is always going on in heaven. Whatever is happening on earth, this where God is fully present in that manifest way, there is a worship service always in place. 
uh, in the unmediated presence of God. And so I, I remember a, a professor told me, I love this. He said, whenever we come to church on Sunday, even if you get here right on time, you're still, we're always entering a worship service that's already in progress. Right? We don't start a worship service. We are joining a service that's always in progress and the goal is to, to how can we join in in what's going on? And I think what we get in Revelation 4 and 5 is this beautiful, really, vision for us of what worship is all about. So um, I hope that this image of worship in heaven can inform our worship on earth on Sunday mornings, okay? So I want to just point out three things, three core realities about what I think what is at the very essence of worship, all right? And we'll, we'll see where we, where, where we get this in Revelation 4 and 5. So first, at its essence, worship says worthy, Okay? First foundational idea, the essence of worship, at its essence, worship says worthy. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Speaking to the one on the throne, you are, what's the word? Worthy, our Lord and God. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Now this is being spoken to the Lamb. You are, what? Worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And then verse 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, what? Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. This is the essence of what worship is. Worship declares the worthiness of God. In fact, the word worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. <laughs> and it then got shortened to worship. But that's the essence of worship. We are declaring the worthiness of God. And one thing I'll be saying is that um, at its essence, worship is not about us. It really is, it has nothing to do with my feelings or my expectations or my hopes or my dreams in this moment. Worship is actually first and foremost about God. That's what worship is. It is looking at God, seeing his worth, and saying in our, in our you know, voices, in our hearts, and our minds, you're worthy. You are worth so much. That's what worship is. And what we get in Revelation 4 and 5 are a lot of reasons why God is so worthy. So let me just, this, I'm going to spend most of my time on this point, but I just want you to, I just want you to you know, soak in this passage and look at the worth of our God. And this is true whether we feel it or not, okay? So chapter 4 gives us the worth of God as creator, all right? So John steps in, this is go back to chapter 4. Um, well, let me show you verse 11. Look at how, why is, why is he worthy? Verse 11, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. You're worthy because there's this amazing universe, and you made it all. You thought it up. You spoke it into existence, and all of it is sustained, and we, as part of it, are sustained moment by moment by your will. So you are worthy. So last weekend, I, I spent a night up in um, Arrowhead, Lake Arrowhead, with my Axios group. And at like, on Friday night at like 10 o'clock at night, um, three of us went down, and we kind of snuck onto someone's dock, and we jumped in to the lake at like 10. And it's still pretty warm. It was great. So you know, we had about 10 minutes in the water, and then we just got out, and we just sat there on the dock for like a half an hour just soaking wet, looking up at the, at the sky. And as you do when you're out of the city looking up at the sky, we have these conversations about light and how fast it travels and how far it travels, and you... Obviously, whenever that happens, you just get this sense of how big the universe is, how small is our role in the universe. And then what's crazy, you think this is so, it, I cannot comprehend how big this is. 
And then we believe there's some being that is infinitely bigger than that, that could imagine it and make it happen and sustain it by his power every moment, every molecule in my body, but every, you know, hydrogen atom in some star two billion light years away. He's sustaining all of that moment by moment. And so if ever there is something that is worthy, it's that being. And that's what you have in chapter 4 is the creatures declaring the worthiness of the creator of all. So let's look at John's own experience. John steps into this door, and then the first thing he sees in verse 2, he says, There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So a throne tells you someone's in control. Someone's in charge of all of this. And the fact that they're sitting on it tells you, and he's really comfortable being in charge. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not getting up and running and doing tasks. He's firmly seated. He's perfectly comfortable and and competent being in charge. And John tries to describe the one on the throne or what's happening around the throne. And it's, it's this combination of this description of radiance. So he describes in verse 3, it's like the appearance of, of these you know, precious jewels, and there's a rainbow shining around the throne. Uh, it's a description of, of, I would say, just power. The throne came flashes of, of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder. There's this majestic power to the throne. But then there's also this serenity and peace. Look at verse 6. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So you've got this this being who's being described in terms of of radiance, majestic power, but also calm serenity, which is who our God is, right? And then you have these four living creatures that are around the throne, these wild, angelic creatures. And look at what they're singing in verse 8. This is their experience of him is this. Holy, holy, holy. When they see the one on the throne, the, the word that comes to mind is holy. You're, you are perfect. You are, and you're utterly unique and set apart and distinct from everything else around us. You, there's a category called everything else, and there's a category called you. And those are utterly distinct. And they never stop saying it, right? They repeat it all the time. I, I was thinking, some of us love repetition in worship. Some of us don't like repetition in worship. It's just a personality thing. Um, but when you are in, in, the, in the presence of God, repetition is all you want to do because you never get sick of the glory, right? Ever. They, day and night, they, they, it never gets old just how beautiful and magnificent and, and awesome God is. The Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are the forever God. You never have a beginning. You never have an end. You are so big and impossible to comprehend. All that to say, chapter 4 gives us this little glimpse, heavenly glimpse of God who is worthy because he is the creator. He's this immense being who makes it all happen, is in perfect control of it all from start to finish. He is worthy. And in worship, we come before our creator and we declare you are worthy of praise. Okay, that's chapter four. Chapter five then, and turn to chapter five, gives us a picture of a God who is worthy, not just as creator, but also as savior. 
And I love, chapter 5 introduces us to a person who couldn't look more opposite than the one on the throne, right? One on the throne, big, powerful, lightning, thunder, radiance, awesome, power, glory. And then in verse 6 of chapter 5, we're introduced to what? A lamb. A little, actually in the Greek, a little lamb, small, vulnerable, helpless, looking as if it had been slain, looking like it's been slaughtered in sacrifice. So different, such a different image from the the one on the throne and then a a little lamb. Uh, We are told uh, in verse 7 that this this little lamb has seven horns and seven eyes in the language of Revelation. That is telling us that he is perfect in strength. He is perfect in wisdom. We're also told that he is not just a lamb in verse 5. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. So this little lamb looks helpless, but he is powerful and he is wise. And in in my personal favorite moment in all these two chapters um, is verse (laughs) 7. This little lamb went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He doesn't bow to the one on the throne. He doesn't shun his eyes from the glory of the one on the throne. He just walks right up to him and he takes the scroll from his hand. Because he's worthy to do that. This scroll, which he's worthy to enact God's plan of salvation, God's plan of judgment in the world. He is perfectly worthy to do that. And so he just walks right up to the majestic power on the throne, takes the throne, uh, takes the scroll. And then everyone starts saying the same things to this little lamb that they were saying to the one on the throne. They also, in verse 9, cry out that same word, you're worthy. But now for a very different reason. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Not because you create all things, but because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You're worthy because you gave your life to purchase a people who are God's own possession, a kingdom of priests. And then again, they say it in verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor. Well, that's all the things that the one on the throne deserves. And this little lamb deserves the same because he is God too. <laughs> he is God's savior, God, the one who came in the person of Jesus Christ to become one of us, to offer his own life for ours, to purchase us and make us a people for God's own possession. So this is who our God is. He's worthy because he is creator, the sovereign, majestic, all-powerful, sustainer of all things, and he is the lamb, the one who came in Jesus, became one of us. He is transcendent. He is intimate. He is big and vast. He is one of us. He knows our every need. Do you know anybody else, anything like that in the whole universe? No. So we cry out, you're worthy. Your worth is so much more than anybody else's. And that is what worship is at its essence. It's seeing God again and, and, and crying out, gosh, you are worth it. And my point in, in saying all this is um, worship really isn't about us. <laughs> in the end, it's really not. When we sing this song, it's absolutely right. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You know that song? And it's all about you. 
It's all about you, Jesus. That's, that's exactly right. So when we step into this time, um, this time isn't first and foremost about us, right? It's, it's not about what, what I can get out of the next 60 minutes, what my expectations are from this. It's not even, worship isn't even about how much I love God and, and what I'm going to do from, not at its essence. At its essence, it's, no, it's all about you, God. But I think for many of us, that, that is a paradigm shift that we need to make because we obviously, we live in this very me-centered, consumeristic culture, right, that we're living in. And it's so easy to bring that to our gatherings together and to wonder, you know, what, what am I going to get out of today? And, and you're all sitting in chairs and you're facing a stage. And so you're used to that meaning that you're an audience and there's people up here performing something for you. And so we regularly try to remind you, no, no, you're not the audience of worship, right? God's the audience of worship, right? You are the choir. You're the performers. I don't like that word perform, but you're the choir. And here's your music directors trying to help the choir sing to the audience because this is for him. It's not for us. And here's the beauty of that. If we can make that shift, um, we can always worship every Sunday. Because you know what? I mean, we can, we out, you're going to come through with that space or those doors over inside. We come through in so many different places, right? I mean, every week you're in a different place. And for some of us right now, we're coming in. We're excited. We just came off of a, a fun vacation. Uh, we have hopes for the fall. Uh, for some of us, we're really anxious right now. Some of us, we're distracted. Some of you haven't heard anything I've said in the last five minutes, right? Um, some of us are carrying burdens. We've, there's, there's tough challenges that we're going through. And so you, you come in, we come in different every time. And what's beautiful is none of that keeps us from worshiping. Because really, worship, in one sense, has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> it, it does, as I'll say in just a minute. But not first and foremost. God is worthy regardless of where we find ourselves. And so we step in every week and we say, someone's going to have to try really hard not to get me to worship today because God's still worthy. And I'm here to declare the worth of the one who created me and saved me. Amen? All right. That's my longest point. Worship says worthy. Second, worship surrenders. Worship not just declares worthy with our lips or even our hearts, but worship surrenders our lives. And I want to look at the example of the 24 elders that we see in chapter 4. And I'm not going to try to figure out exactly who these people are uh, or what they might represent or what, what it is, but clearly, um, well, we'll just, let's just look at the image themselves, the image itself. So in verse 4, chapter 4, it says this, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Okay, so whoever these people are, they are seated on thrones, and they're wearing crowns. So I think we can assume they, they have some level of authority. That's what, that's what a throne means, and a crown means. And they have levels of honor in the inner kind of you know, worship circle of heaven. So they have authority, and they have honor. But what do they do? Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they sing. So they're getting off of their thrones, right? They were seated. They get up off the throne and they get down and they bow on the ground and then they take their crowns off and they lay it at the throne of God. And so I assume what that means is whatever honor that we have, whatever authority we have, we 
lay it at your feet. We surrender it to you. We offer it to you. It's not ours. You gave it to us anyways. And by the way, compared to you, it's nothing. So whatever we are, whatever we've been given, we want to surrender it to you. This is part of our act of worship. That makes sense? Okay, and I think that is one of the fundamental postures of worship. Worship is not just declaring worthiness with our, with our, you know, our, our minds or our, our words. Worship is bowing who we are before God. It is, it is surrendering ourselves. It is handing over our lives, our, our treasures, our gifts, you name it, to God as acts of offering and surrender to him. And I would say this is the real deep work of worship, okay? It's one thing to proclaim worthy, um, but this is where worship gets really real and really deep, where we, where we take our treasures, right? We, we take the two. We take our reputations. And I would, I would expand this. I think part of worship is just surrendering all that we have, um, even, even our struggles, uh, even our sins, that when we, when we come into the Lord's presence, so to speak, in worship, that we, it's this, this moment of, God, I have to re-surrender. I've been holding on to some things, and now I need to, this is my act of worship, is to surrender those to you, right? Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. This is your reasonable act of worship, Right? So it's, it's an, I got to put it back on the altar. I'm, whatever is mine, I, I hand over to you. So let me just talk through what this can look like. Because I think this, again, this is the real work. This is the deep heart work that can happen here on a Sunday morning as we're worshiping the Lord. So let me give you some examples. Uh, these are all hypothetical. That's never happened to any of you here. All week long, you're in a fight with your spouse. Okay? And... Um, it's that thing you've fought about for 30 years, right? Or 15 years. And um, so it, it triggers lots of deep woundedness, these long-standing, you know, feelings of not being understood, uh, feeling like you're not being validated by your spouse. And you've been spending the week so badly wanting him or her to come to their senses, right? And, uh, and you kind of have your position. You've been kind of stuck in your positions. You're just kind of walking through the house. Your, your ship's passing. And if you've been praying about it, you've been praying, Lord, please fix my spouse, right? And then you come in to this moment, and you're worshiping the Lord, and you, you get a glimpse of, of God's glory through a song lyric, through a melody, through the, the word, through prayers, and you, you kind of, your life gets centered again, and you realize, oh, darn it. I'm the one who's supposed to surrender this posture. I'm holding tightly. So, Lord, okay, here, here's my act. I can't, I can't worship you and hold this, this grudge against my spouse. So my act of worship is, Lord, what do you, I gotta, you, know, what do you want to do in me? What are you trying to show me? Not what can I get you to fix in my spouse, right? I, I want to just, I want to lay my posture. I want to lay my marriage at the feet of your throne. Or maybe it's, it's some hope that you have, that you're, you're thinking about. There's, there's a job opportunity to go really well, or you're hoping your kids are going to get into a certain school, or there's a, a relationship you're desperately wanting to happen or to, to work, and you've been anxious about it, you're holding tightly to it, you're stressing about it, and then you come into the throne room, so to speak, and you're worshiping the Lord, and you realize, oh, what I have to do right now Lord, I gotta, I gotta offer this to you. I mean, this is, 
I can't control this. I'm desperately trying to control this and make this work. But you're the creator. I'm not. You're the savior. I'm not. So my act of worship, I've got to let this go right now and hand it to you and, and trust that it's actually safer. It's safer in your hands than it is in my hands. So this is my act of worship to offer this to you. And we can do that with sins too, you know, addictions, patterns that we've been so stuck in that we feel like I've just, I don't see this changing and I don't really want it to change. I'm kind of nervous to go to God because I think he's, you know, he's probably pretty bummed about me and, and disappointed about what I'm doing. But in worship, we have a moment of God, we see God's mercy, we see the gospel, we hear the gospel again and we go, okay, this is my moment. This is my prodigal son moment to turn around, turn back, to trust that you have open arms for those who repent and turn, and you have healing and, and wholeness for me. So this is the deep work of worship. And, and I just, this is kind of, to me, the real great work of worship. What I so long for our community, whether we're on the patio, whether we're inside, that during this time, the Spirit is doing deep work in our hearts. That things are going on. I, I like to say this is time to do business with the Lord. Right? This is where we do business with the Lord and where we experience healing and we experience um, the, the power uh, that can break certain holds that, that we're clinging to tightly. That's a, that's a fundamental part of worship, offering, surrendering, laying ourselves and what we have before the throne of God, before the throne of the Lamb. And what's so beautiful, I think, and just to finish off this comment, it's, it's, that, it's the vision of God's worthiness that actually frees us up to do this, right? It's, you know, it's like when you see, when you're reminded again, oh God, you're good and you love me and you've got this in control and there's freedom and there's forgiveness. That's kind of what frees me up to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to let go of this thing and I'm going to hand it to you. So that's how the spirit, I think, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, his, it's a vision of his glory that helps us to, to surrender these things to him. Okay, so worship says worthy. Worship surrenders. And then finally, last one, worship centers, okay? There's something so centering about worship. And I think this really is at the heart of what I want to say, especially in this series. What are, these, what are these practices? What are these regular things we do that help to ground us in kingdom living? Worship centers us. So notice in this passage, in verse 2, the first thing that John sees, right, is a throne. And then notice how everything else in the passage is centered around the throne. There's like these concentric circles around the throne. So first you have the four living creatures right around the throne. And then outside of them, you have the 24 elders on 24 thrones around them. And then we find out in verse 5, all of a sudden, there's thousands upon thousands of angels surrounding the 24 elders there and, and you know, encircled around the throne. And then at the end of chapter 5, it says, then every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth is around the throne, right? So it's, it's like this ever-expanding solar system where you have all these beings that are all revolving around this radiant center, which is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Everything finds its place. Everything finds its meaning in, as it revolves around the throne. And that's, that's what worship does. Worship centers our lives again around what is most true, most important, and most beautiful, and most valuable. And guess what? All week long, turns out a lot of times our lives are centered around other things, right? Well, our lives are spinning 
around other things. For many of us, that we're, our lives are just spinning around work. We're, we're thinking about work, right? We're appropriately so. We're, we're thinking, that's just, we're caught up in the grind and, and, and the, the work to be done, and we're spinning around that. Some of us, um, for most of the week, are, we're spinning around the, the news cycle, the ever-changing and ever-constant news cycle, and that's where we go, and our minds are just constantly circled around that. For some of us, we, our lives are just circled around ourselves. We're, we're constantly wondering, how, what do people think of us, and how are we come across, and what's going on? Um, for some of us, there's ch- really hard challenges in our lives um, that our lives are circled around. We're, we're anxious, we're worried, understandably so, about certain things. So all week long, we're spinning around all these various things. And I would actually, I wonder for you, how would you answer? Like, what, what, sh- what have you been spinning around this week? Are there one or two things that you've kind of been spinning around, revolving around, centered around? And what's so beautiful, whatever that might be, is in worship, we gather together to be centered again around the still point of the turning world, around God, his glory, his goodness, and his gospel. And the truth is, our souls are so thirsty for the glory of God. And, and I mean, every human being is so starving for the glory of God, and the problem is ha- most of them don't even know it. We choose all these other substitutes, but when we gather together, it's a way to center ourselves again and remember, no, this is what I long for, and this is what my life revolves around, and this is what makes sense of all the random details, brokenness, hopes, dreams in my life, I get centered again around God and his glory. Such an important thing, especially in this world that feels so uncentered to me right now, that we get centered on the foundational reality behind all reality. And one last thing I want to say before I close, um, worship doesn't just center our own hearts and minds, but worship also centers our relationships together around what is most important. Look at chapter 5, verse 9, when it's, the creatures are praising the lamb. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Right? This is why the Lamb is worthy. is because he's taking people from all over the place, from every tribe and language and people and nation. A very diverse and, and wide-ranging group of people are centered around a common purpose, which we've all been saved by the land. He, all, he purchased us, and we're now a kingdom of priests. That's, that's Israel language right there. So God has taken people from every nation and brought them into one people groups. And that's the, the final vision we have. And in the Bible is this beautifully diverse group of people centered, their relationships centered around the Lamb. This was always God's plan, and this is what Jesus has brought about. And man, if ever there were a time where the church needs unity, <laughs> it is now, 2021. And we are observing, I think, in the last year and a half, fundamental rifts in the evangelical church that I don't know will ever honestly be undone quite. Um, But what we're seeing is things are happening, um, which is some things that are just drawing out what was already under the surface uh, and also intensifying, I think, on both 
in both directions. And so you have a, a church that is more divided than ever before. And I think what we're going to see is actually churches will become more homogenous, not less so, because people are watching what's going on, and people are just starting to move to churches that feel like these are our people. We thought these were our people. They're not. And now we're going here. And so we're seeing so much division. I think we will be actually more homogenous. Individual churches will be less diverse than they were. That's just my own sense of things. That's a sad uh, commentary. But what I want to say in the midst of that is worship has the power to bring God's people together around what is most central. To be able to say, hey, do you believe in God, the Almighty Creator? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus, His Savior, His death and resurrection for you, and, and the forgiveness of sins that you have for Him? Do you believe? I believe that too. So let's worship together, and let's get our relationship centered. Well, at least we can center around that. And so we can have people of different races, different um, convictions on current events. We can have masked and unmasked people, vaccinated, unvaccinated people, you name the, the current division. I'm sure there's more coming in the next couple months. But we can gather around the throne and we can worship God. Do we agree on this? Then we can, we can worship together. And that not only centers our own lives, but that can at least center our relationships. That's the only chance we really have to center our relationships around what is, what is most true and most fundamental. Obviously, some people wouldn't even hold to those truths, so that's a different conversation. But within this church, we can, we can center our relationships around that. All right, so that's just a, a glimpse of Revelation 4 and 5, a glimpse of what worship is. Worship says worthy, worship surrenders, and worship centers. It centers us individually, but it can also center us around the throne. So let's bring that to these Sunday mornings together. Let's bring that, that, that vision each week as much as we can. And what we want to do now is we just want to worship out of that. We want to create some unhurried time to worship in song, to sing songs that declare that God is holy, that God is worthy. We want to create space to actually surrender anything that we might be holding on to God this week or this year that would be good to just lay at the throne uh, of uh, lay at the at the foot of his throne. So um, let's do that together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll just sing a couple songs and send you out. Well, Father, it's so good on such a beautiful day outside to just declare together in our hearts and our minds and with our voices and hopefully with our lives that you're worthy, that you are so valuable that um, we, we obviously lose sight, that's okay. Um, but hopefully we've gotten a glimpse of your glory today, and hopefully you give us more of that um, throughout the day. So I pray that your spirit even now would be moving in us, do the deep work that needs to be done, given what each one of us is struggling with and sitting with this week. Minister to us. This is your chance to minister to us as we focus on you. So fix our eyes on you. And then do the work you want to do, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.